0: What's up, friends? Before we hop into the show, I got to tell you about the delicious, the smooth, the wonderful Strava Craft Coffee. You guys know about Strava. It's rich, CBD-infused coffee, and they have a lot of ways they deliver it. K-Cups, Keurig, whole bean, ground. This gets you the jolt that you need, and the CBD keeps the jitters from coming, and it also helps with any aches or pains that you have going on. So check out Strava Craft Coffee. It's perfect for this time when you need the juice to get up in the morning but you don't want the jitters especially because you're staying at home so make sure you check out Strava Craft Coffee use that code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase that's code DNVR20 and make sure you tag Strava and us when you get it let us know how it is all right let's hop into the show
1: of the weekend Hugging the perfect string
0: Welcome to the DNVR Broncos podcast on this Monday, this magical Monday. And before we hop into the show, I got to tell you about our very brand new presenting sponsor of the DNVR Broncos podcast. And that is Metro State Online. This is MSU Denver online and guys this is an awesome program that they have going on they have over 40 online and hybrid programs 750 classes we know how some of you guys are in Denver are in Colorado already know about MSU Denver but we know that some of you guys are from out of state uh and 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 can't get to Denver to to take classes and this is the way to do it msu denver online it's the perfect blend of rigorous affordable you can do things on your own time this is the way to go to get your education so make sure to head over to msudenver.edu slash online to scope out everything that they have like i said over 40 online programs 750 classes so make sure to check them out. Uh, we even have some people over at DNVR taking classes online through them. So we back it. We recommend it. So make sure to go check them out. That's msudenver.edu online. All right, Mace, how are you doing on this new DNVR Broncos podcast presented by MSU Denver Online? How are you doing, Mace? I'm
1: doing very well. New DNVR Broncos podcast presented by MSU Denver Online. That's something I can get used to. It's a <laughs> lot of syllables, but I can get used to it. <laughs>
0: it's got, got a nice ring to it.
1: <laughs> well, it's also really cool, that especially in this time uh, when everyone's spending more time at home, we're all kind of cooped up that uh, we can keep the learning fires going. I mean, I can attest to my daughter who's sitting upstairs from me right now. and She's going through uh, her classwork uh, for her school right now. She's uh on these Zoom conferences, five days a week, basically, uh, various things with her teacher and uh, other other people at her school, like art teacher. There's even like Spanish class, a separate Spanish class, a separate social studies lesson. She's in first grade, going through all this. So, uh, like it or not, this is the wave of the future,
0: and uh, it's good to see MSU Denver on the forefront of this. Ab- absolutely, that that's very very well put. And Mace, man. We just got some breaking news coming in right before this podcast. I mean, just put a jolt, like just like Strava Craft Coffee, put a jolt in me for this pod. The All-Decade team was announced, the 2010 All-Decade team, which is very important as we'll get into, and the Broncos, not snubbed, at least for two players. Von Miller, one of eight unanimous selections, that's just a no-brainer and Chris Harris Jr. Not a unanimous selection, but he was selected. He is no longer just snubbed by everything. Two Broncos, Mace, when I say that, what are your initial thoughts?
1: I think uh, it's, it's it's a deserved reward for both of these players, of course. With Chris Harris Jr., he goes in as a defensive back, which kind of owes to all the work he did as a slot corner, which really became a thing in response to slot receivers over the last 10 years. They actually selected three cornerbacks, three safeties, and two defensive backs Chris Harris Jr. and Tyron Honey Badger Matthew were the others. But uh, yeah, Von Miller, this is the no doubter. This is the slam dunk for him. If he wasn't a cinch, a lock for the hall of fame. He is right now as a unanimous selection to this all decade team. You pile that upon the 100 plus sacks upon the pro bowls, the all pro selections. And of course being super bowl m 50 MVP, you can go ahead and you can start sizing him for the bust and the gold jacket. And if he wants to, he can even start writing his hall of fame speech right now, even though he's not going to (laughs) deliver it. For hopefully quite a few years, Von Miller will be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And as we discussed on earlier podcasts, if he's a first ballot
0: Hall of Famer in my book, that means nobody would ever wear number 58 again if it were up to me. Well, and Mace, you, you hit it on the head. We already knew Von Miller was a Hall of Famer. This absolutely solidifies it, though. Uh, you, you can just bookmark it. Uh, to, to whenever he retires five years down the line, he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And now what this does is this kind of takes it to the next step of, okay, well, we already know he's a Hall of Famer. Now, where does this put him in the ranks of the elites? Now he just keeps climbing that. It's no longer is he an all-time great. And, and we've known that before. This We didn't need that to justify. But this is another thing. When you look at his resume – Just how amazing it is. The number two overall pick, he certainly lived up to that. Defensive rookie in the year, right when he got in the league, he set the league on fire. Then what did he do the next year? 18 and a half sacks, a career best for now. Eight-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, four-time second-team All-Pro, Super Bowl 50 MVP, Super Bowl winner, and now a unanimous 2010 All-Decade team He's a future ring of famer. He's a future hall of famer. Oh, and by the way, all of those numbers can continue to only get better. He may have double digit pro Bowls by the time he's done. Uh, and in what he did in this past decade, well, he just led the NFL in sacks 112 and a half sacks led all players during that decade. It's the fifth most sacks any player has ever had in a single decade. I mean, what more can we say about the guy?
1: Wait, I thought he had 106 sacks. Oh, you're uh, counting playoffs. Never yep, mind. Okay. Exactly. All right, yeah, you're counting playoffs because I've, I've got the regular season all-time sack list here because when you're talking about where Von Miller ends up, because he has the All-Pros, the Pro Bowls, the Super Bowl MVP, now in terms of burnishing his case, this is sack accumulation time. For Von Miller, of course, he is sitting right now with 106 regular season sacks through nine years. That places him 25th all time. If he can, if he can just get back into double digit territory this year, if he has actually, if he has even seven and a half sacks this year, he moves up to 22nd. He would pass Sean Jones, Greg Townsend, and Pat Swilling. And then to really get into the all-time discussion, and this is since sacks became an official stat in 1982, I think a magic number for him is 140. There are six players in NFL history with officially 140 or more sacks. DeMarcus Ware isn't even one of them. He came close. He came a sack and a half short. But those six guys with at least 140 sacks, Bruce Smith, Reggie White, Kevin Green, Julius Peppers, Chris Dolman, Michael Strahan. Those are kind of, in terms of pass rushers, that's the big six all-time in terms of career-long production. Now, with some of those guys, they played a long time to get there. Julius Peppers played 17 seasons, of course, uh, just retiring after the 2018 campaign when he came back to the Panthers. Bruce Smith, 19 years in the NFL. Reggie White played from 1985 to 1998, took a year off, came back in 2000. Kevin Green played 15 seasons in the league. Von Miller is only through nine years. Let's say he plays up to year 14, so five more seasons. If Von Miller averages 10 sacks a year for the next five years, that puts him fifth all time in sack history and that's just 10 sacks a year that's basically saying okay sort of the minimum standard for most of your career he's he's only failed to achieve 10 sacks in the season in the injury shortened 2013 season and then last year when he had eight sacks but I think you get Bradley Chubb back you get him in year two with Vic Fangio I think his total is going to resemble more of those 13 to 19 sack type seasons that he had uh, earlier in the 2010s. So let's assume that he gets 13 sacks uh, this year, and that gets him on the happy side of that 10 sack a year pace. If Von Miller gets into the top five all time in sacks, if he gets north of 150.5, which is where Chris Dolman stands, he's fifth all time. And then you stack the All Pros and the Pro Bowls, and of course that big Super Bowl MVP on top of it. Zach, you might be talking about a resume that in terms of edge rushers is only surpassed by
0: Bruce Smith and Reggie White. Man, talk about that. That is absolutely Mm -hmm. insane. This is the type of talent that we're talking about with Mm -hmm. Von Miller. And and this is kind of cool because you you don't, outside of Pro Bowls and and all pros, you don't really get to take a look uh, and take a step back at someone's career like this uh, when they're still playing. And it's crazy to see where he is now. Like we said, he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Now? No doubt. He he can just uh, skyrocket his legacy. And it's so fun to kind of take a step back and look what he can do. And it's, I mean, it's it's just, it's blowing my mind right now, looking and thinking about all of this. And he still has, what, potentially five years left?
1: Yeah, maybe even more if he stays healthy. I think one of the things when I covered Julius Peppers back in Carolina – was the shape in which he kept himself and just he was a guy who was a a natural athlete and Von Miller checks a lot of the same boxes like Julius Peppers and Pep was a prolific pass rusher really up until his last day in the NFL before he retired now some of the other aspects of his game failed him he wasn't as strong at the point of attack against the run as he had been before but he became something of a pass rush specialist And it's possible that part of Von Miller's evolution as he gets into his mid-30s, if he wants to keep playing, is that he could become something of a sub-package pass rush specialist when he hits age 35 and 36 if he wants to continue playing in the NFL. And then he can just keep racking up sacks and uh, placing himself among the greats. I think with Von Miller, the question is not whether he's going to be a Hall of Famer, even a first ballot Hall of Famer. The question is, if you made an all time starting 22 in NFL history is Von Miller on that list. And with another few seasons averaging 10 plus sacks a year, Zach, he would be on that list.
0: And what's crazy about that the is best of the best, no disrespect to punters or anything. We're ah. not just, we're not just talking about the best of the best. We're talking about what the second, third most important position on the football field. And, by just being what he should be. I mean, m- maybe not in five years we're saying he should be getting 10 sacks, but by this year, he should absolutely be getting 10 sacks. And so by just saying he should be, a, you know, a Von Miller, and, and we're not asking anything crazy from him, for him to be one of the best, one of the top two best players ever at one of the most important positions ever, that is just – that is something else. All right, May yeah. so –
1: The last three years, by the way, Zach, Von Miller has tallied 32 and a half sacks. And think about this. That's what the Broncos playing from behind most of the time. The previous three years, Von Miller had 39 and a half sacks when the Broncos were playing from ahead 2014 to 2016, much of the time. So this is where complimentary football and the ability to have an offense that doesn't go out there and take a dump on the field on a consistent basis, this is where that comes into play. Even an average offense, a moderately effective offense, one that can give the Broncos some working leads more often than it has in the past three seasons is going to help Von Miller because then that's more opportunities for him to tee off and attack the passer, and then improvement from Bradley Chubb. If he can come back from that torn ACL and be what he was before, that's going to help Von Miller because all of a sudden you're seeing more one-on-ones. And then I would be remiss if I did not mention Jarrell Casey as, in my estimation, the best interior pass rusher the Broncos have had since Malik Jackson back in 2015. That is going to help Von Miller as well he could be coming into maybe even a second golden age here uh if things can break right in terms of how the broncos develop and if that's the case and you're talking about him being a 10 sack a year guy for another four or five years then man he he's uh, he then advances to the category of is of being considered not only an all-time NFL player, but are you saying he's the greatest Bronco ever? Right, yeah. I, I, now, I don't think the answer is going to be yes because you do have John Elway and all that he brought to the franchise, but it might be an interesting conversation. If Von Miller stays in Denver and if he's on that 10 sack a year pace for the next few years,
0: yeah. And speaking of great Broncos, it was really cool that Steve Atwater delivered uh, Von Miller the news. Of course, Steve Atwater, uh, an All Decade player himself, a Hall of Famer himself, uh, and he delivered the news to Von Miller this morning. And we'll be talking to Von Miller this afternoon. Uh, so be, be sure to stay tuned. What we will tell you everything. That Vaughn has to say, may someone we may not be talking to is Chris Harris Jr. But Chris, given this award, and man, do I feel so good for Chris. He's a guy that has constantly been just, uh, he, he's been overlooked by the national media uh, or by, by, by the national perspective in general, but not this time. He's given the all-decade team honor.
1: Yeah, great for him. I couldn't be happier for him to see him on this list. And uh, it's a little bit different structure for this all-decade team than we've seen for past all-decade teams. But uh, the, the honor is still the same because they chose eight defensive backs, three pure cornerbacks, three pure safeties, and two guys they considered defensive backs. And there he is. On that list, just like in previous decades, they chose uh, four, you know, four first-team defensive backs and four second-team defensive backs. The interesting thing, though, Zach, is that they didn't differentiate on this between first and second team. Every other all-decade team they've chosen, they've differentiated between the first and second team. On this, they're just saying,
0: okay, you're not a first or second-teamer. You're just an all-decade player. Yep, yep, exactly. And now Mace... <sighs> what does this mean for Chris? Because we talked about how with Vaughn, this, if there were any questions, he's a hall of famer. Uh, this just solidifies that. Does it do the same for Chris? Because we were not we're going into today, yesterday, we weren't saying Chris is a, a hall of famer. There's no question about it. Uh, let's move on from that. No, there certainly no one was saying that. Yeah. And
1: it really depends I think what Chris does in future years, because I think he's got to add a little bit more to his resume, being a second, an equivalent of a second-team player. And when you look at the names on this all-decade list in the, defensive, in the defensive backfield, you're talking about pure cornerbacks, Patrick Peterson, Darrell Revis, and Richard Sherman. Pure safeties, Eric Berry, Earl Thomas, Eric Weddle, and then Chris Harris Jr. and Tyron Matthews, the defensive backs. Would you say that among those eight, Chris is probably among the
0: second four, realistically? I think, I think that's how it would be voted nationally, yes. Yeah, you'd probably be talking about, in cornerbacks, you'd probably
1: say Richard Sherman and Patrick Peterson are your first team all-decade corners. And, you know, even though Eric Berry had some good years, Eric Weddle had a bit more sustained success. So probably Earl Thomas and Eric Weddle as your first team safeties? Probably. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And so that Chris would come in on the second team and why that's worth bringing up is you look at past all decade teams being on the first team, unless you're a specialist like a kicker or a punter, or unless you're a safety, which is criminally overlooked as Steve Atwater has endured for the last few decades, unless you're either of those positions, usually all decade means you're going to be a hall of famer. Here's a a good example. Let's go back to the 1990s, and let's take a look at the the three linebackers on the first team all-1990s squad. You had Kevin Green, Junior Seau, Derek Thomas. Gold jacket, gold jacket, gold jacket. Now let's go to the second team for a moment. Cornelius Bennett, Hardy Nickerson, LeVon Kirkwood. Three very good players. I actually watched quite a bit of Hardy Nickerson in Tampa back in the day. They're not Hall of Famers. And so there's a pretty... There's, there's a pretty thick line between getting into the Hall of Fame and being a first-team All-Decade player and getting there and being a second-team All-Decade player. This, this structure for the 2010s, I think it makes everyone kind of feel better. Like, hey, I'm an All-Decade player. You get more players that are basically going to say, I'm All-Decade because of this. But in terms of Hall of Fame discussion, the all decade squad comes up quite a bit in that selection room. And it, mu- this, by
0: doing it differently this time, it muddies the waters a little bit. So, does it actually help the Broncos, uh, both guys, that they didn't have the first and second team? Because Von Miller, he would have been first team. And so, in that meeting, uh, in that meeting room with the Hall of Fame, that can just be brought up simply just like that. Well, we know Von Miller would have been. So, I, I don't think it hurts him not having that first team selection but with Chris does it actually help that there wasn't a first and second team because I think we, we both just went over it he would have had that second team designation now mm-hmm. there's no second team designation he's just uh, a 2010s all decade team player
1: yeah it, it helps his cause potentially and there's probably still a bit more to add to that resume but it helps him and actually a guy who I think might have had his cause hurt but could have had a, a case that uh, maybe before today was a little bit better for the pro football hall of fame to keep to Yeah. Because he's nowhere to be seen on this list, but Chris Harris Jr. Is.
0: Yeah. And I got to so say that all that's the a sudden, shock.
1: Yeah. So all of a sudden we're going to get into discussing hall of fame resumes. And one thing that usually helps, unfortunately it hasn't helped anybody on the orange crush from back in the seventies, which is criminal. Yeah. But when you're part of a, def- of a, Defensive unit that kind of has a defining few years of performance that even has a nickname that people remember. It's part of the fabric of the history of the game. The no fly zone, that's going to be remembered in history. What may come into play, and it's something that we talk about with the Orange Crush, it's criminal. There's no representation for the Orange Crush in the Hall of Fame. But what may come into play is that, hey, you have this all-time secondary that even earned a nickname, the no-fly zone, had some defining years, won a Super Bowl. Who's representing it? And this is where Chris Harris Jr. now becomes the favorite among the secondary. Not that Darian Stewart and T.J. Ward really had any shot, but I think no. we were talking a little bit more about a keep to Talib being the Hall of Famer Out of the no-fly zone, if one of them made it. Now, I think Chris Harris Jr. is the guy who's going to have the best odds to be a Hall of Famer someday. And certainly this helps his cause, even though the fact that you've got one collective all decade team, it's going to muddle things a little bit. But Chris, but I guarantee you, whether it's Jeff Legwold or somebody else, who knows? Maybe even me, it's making that makes that presentation someday. (laughs)
0: Yes, there we go.
1: I'll tell you, if I'm in that room making that presentation someday, then I'm not saying, okay, it's a little different in the 2010s. I'm saying Chris Harris Jr. is an all-decade player. <laughs> <laughs> yep,
0: yep. You, you don't what need do to we hurt do your case.
1: With all-decade with all play, secondary players from great iconic defenses that go down in history, we get them a bust, and we get them a jacket, and we put them in with the immortals.
0: You're giving me the chills, Mace. <laughs> I I just decided that you are presenting Chris Harris Jr. at the Hall of Fame. Oh, it would be a very <laughs> easy presentation for me to make. <laughs> I uh, And Jeff Legwald does a great job, especially yes, he does. Yes, he as does. we've seen over the past yeah. couple of years. But man, if there ever needs to be someone to take his role, it's you. It's you. Mace. I am not going to pound the table, literally, because I don't want to mess up
1: the connection. But I would pound the table <laughs>
0: for <With> Chris a... <laughs> Harris
1: Jr. in the Hall of Fame.
0: I absolutely love it. And something else I really love <laughs> is Breckenridge Brewery, the farmhouse. Uh, everything that Breckenridge Brewery does, everything they touch turns into gold, whether it's delicious drinks. Oh, yes, just like that. Or whether it's their delicious food. Mace, you have any... Uh, 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 f- eating noises no I don't that's okay probably for the best <laughs> uh, everything everything you're probably right on that everything they touch is fantastic and the farmhouse food is killer so guys if you're close to the farmhouse you can swing by they'll bring the food straight out to your car or if you're not that close and you're in the Denver area They will deliver for free. So make sure to use the code DNVR when you order from them and you'll save $5 off your meal. Call them at 303-803-1380 from 12 to 8 p.m. every day is when they have this offer going on. Uh, And let's say you just want some beer. Well, order through Drizzly and that will deliver the beer straight to you. Uh, Maybe try the 15 can sampler. That's a perfect time. This is the time to experiment now. So try that and make sure to check out the farmhouse because supporting them is supporting us especially during this time something else that's fantastic is manscape because what you have now is you got a lot of time on your hands so you might as well take care of yourself i shaved my face this morning you gotta take care of every single part of your body and manscape can help keep the family jewels nice and clean and perfect especially during this time when all you're doing is hanging out with yourself and your family, Jewel. So make sure to check out Manscaped. Uh, they, they've got everything from, <clears throat> excuse me, from the lawnmower 3.0 3.0 to the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver. The perfect package contains it all for the perfect package to keep your package perfect. So make sure to check out Manscaped. Use that code DNVR20 for 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped and Breckenridge Brewery, boy, that's all you need to get you through this time. All right, Mason, speaking of all you need to get you through this time, let's talk to the people because they help us get through this time.
1: Yes, always appreciate all the great comments that we get here, of course, on the DNVR Broncos podcast brought to you by MSU Denver. Mile high, Mike. Guys, help me understand something here. Patrick Mahomes' first start was in Denver back in 2017. His stats 22 of 35, 284 yards, zero touchdowns, one pick. Drew's first start, 18 of 28, 134 yards, two touchdowns, and one pick. Next game in Houston, 22 of 27, 360 yards, three touchdowns, and one pick. Now, I know Patty's almost 300 yards is good, but for real, I remember Patrick Mahomes hype everywhere after this game. Please help me understand what Mahomes showed in Denver that Drew failed to show that warranted so many crickets in the national media. Don't misunderstand me. Two years later, we see that Patty is a unicorn. I'm not trying to compare Locke to what we know he is now, but why did Patrick get so much attention after an average start?
0: Thanks for being amazing. I have spoken. Mile high, Mike. Oh, mile high, Mike. I think it's a great point comparing their first two starts because, uh, yeah, you're right. The, the national media was jumping all over Patrick Mahomes when he played against Paxton Lynch, and I didn't really get it. I mean, he, he looked good. He, he was actually – wasn't he benched, Mace? Uh, not benched, but uh, Andy Reid pulled him out of that game. And then the Chiefs blew the lead, and then they put him back in, and he led the game-winning drive.
1: Yeah, because they were so far ahead, and they thought—and actually, it was—they were up two scores, and the thought was they don't want to risk further in, risk injury to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and so they pulled him, and the immortal Tyler Bray came in,
0: <laughs> and Tyler
1: Bray was seven shades of awful, and the game—and the Broncos then end up coming back and tying the game, and. Even though it's a meaningless game, yeah, you still wanna win and so they sent Mahomes out there. And actually, it was smart on their part, win or lose, to send him out there just because he gave him a chance to deliver in a high leverage situation at the end of the game. Okay, kid, it's basically preseason, but here's a chance to have a game winning drive. Go to it. And he went out there and led the game led them downfield. A couple of things to consider on Patrick Mahomes. He played throughout the preseason, and with all respect to Drew Locke in 2019, Patrick Mahomes was a heck of a lot better in his first preseason than Drew, than Drew Locke was, and I don't think that you, can, uh, that you can underestimate that. In the preseason of 2017, Patrick Mahomes completed 63% of his passes, 34-54 for 390 390 yards, four touchdowns, no picks a rating of 109.3 he also averaged 5.5 yards per carry and do you recall seeing some of the some of the highlights and some of the moments for Patrick Mahomes in that preseason and he was turning heads like mad in that summer and it was watching those games and I just I actually went back and watched every snap that he had because I was curious to see if play was worthy of the hype and the breathless reports coming out of Kansas City and it was and the fact that Mahomes then came out in week 17 and for the most part diced the Broncos up even though he didn't have a touchdown pass he made some throws that I think made us all sit up straight in our chairs and say wow and so we got that whereas with Drew Locke last summer okay he completed sixty-one percent of his passes. He was thirty-one of fifty-one for two hundred fifty-four yards, a touchdown, an interception, five yards per attempt, seventy-one point nine passer rating. And then we get to his first start against the Chargers, and they they basically put the shackles on him after a couple of nice throws early. So I think part of it is we didn't get the chance. Part of it is we didn't get the chance to see uh, all that Drew Locke could do in that first start. and part, and and also, another part of it is Patrick Mahomes, he's, he's freakish. And you, know, you, just, you watched him, and you, as a Broncos observer, I thought, uh-oh, this guy's going to be a problem mm-hmm. for a long time. And while I think Drew Locke can be a very good quarterback for the Broncos, potentially, this year is about finding out whether he has that sort of ceiling or not, I, I don't think he's going to be in Patrick Mahomes' class.
0: And that's, that's not any disrespect no. to Drew Locke. And pe- people on this podcast know uh, just how highly I view Patrick Mahomes. And also, I don't think that's like a crazy take or anything. But one of the reasons about this is I doubted him coming in. If you guys remember, mm-hmm. I, I thought, you know, he may be the Brett Favre type where he throws four touchdowns one game and then the next game he comes back and throws four picks and absolutely uh, sends his team into a loss that's what I thought he was going to be and he proved me very wrong he was Brett Favre only the good of Brett Favre no bad (laughs) Brett Favre Uh, and so mile high Mike I think it's very interesting that you compare those first two starts and then you you throw in Drew's second start which was of course against Houston when he had 300 yards when he had three touchdowns and one interception but I noticed that you didn't put in Patrick Mahomes' second start. Well, in Patrick Mahomes' second start, yeah, he didn't throw for as many yards as Drew, but he threw four touchdowns and zero interceptions, and that's pretty darn good. And then, uh, you know, of course, Drew's numbers at the end of the five games looked pretty good. Uh, very, very, very encouraging. And just because Patrick Mahomes' numbers were better doesn't mean Drew Locks weren't good. So that's important to remember. But Patrick Mahomes in his next four starts after that first start against the Broncos, He threw for 1,200 yards, 14 touchdowns, and zero interceptions, 14 to zero. So I'm going to stop the the Patrick Mahomes uh, hype right here. But I mean, that's, that's why people aren't saying Drew Locke can be the next Patrick Mahomes right now, at least the national media and attention is because, yes, Drew's first start Was was better than Patrick Mahomes' first start, statistical wise. Statistically wise, but then what Patrick Mahomes did in those next four starts compared to Drew? No one's. I don't know if anyone's ever had those those four games uh, in in their first five games.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think it's sort of like I think we need to sort of have a a different measurement for how what we're comparing here and what we're saying is good for Drew Lock to become. Okay. Let's take a look at the NFC South of the last decade plus. Let's say Patrick Mahomes is your Drew Brees, your potential all-timer. Right. What if for Drew Locke, and not saying in terms of career length, but maybe in terms of just kind of prominence, Drew Locke is on that second tier where cam newton and matt ryan have been both of them had mvps yep both of them got their teams to the super bowl didn't win it but got them there if drew Locke has that sort of career and then the broncos have enough of a defense and enough other things to where maybe instead of just getting to the super bowl they're winning it i'm pretty happy with that even if it doesn't even if In the case of Matt Ryan and Cam Newton, they didn't match up to Drew Brees. And Drew Locke may not match up to Patrick Mahomes, but that still provides a worthy challenge, and it means you're winning some division titles, you're winning a fair amount of
0: games, and you're in contention quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, do you think the Chargers were upset – at Philip Rivers, at the, the type of player and caliber he was? I don't think so. I think they were thrilled with him. Now, maybe not last season, but I'm, t- I'm talking about the career as a whole and not about right. the team accomplishments, but the type of player he was. He was never Patrick Mahomes. He was never Peyton Manning, but they were still very happy with the type of player he was. So, Mace, I think it's a fantastic point that you said, we got to compare Drew Locke not to Patrick Mahomes. Here's
1: another comp. And actually, in, the, in this case, you have somebody who accomplished more on a team, per, a team level. The AFC East in the 1990s, you had Dan Marino and Jim Kelly. They both came out of that, night, that famous 1983 quarterback draft. Now, Dan Marino is the all, is one of the all-time great quarterbacks. Jim Kelly is still a Hall of Famer. Jim Kelly yeah. still got them to the four Super Bowls.
0: Yep. Yep. You know, it's, it's a really, really good point. All right, Mason, next one's for you. Yes, Count Locula.
1: Okay, gents, you get to cover another NFL team from the last twenty years. It can't be a Super Bowl winner. Damn it! My choice was going to be the O2 Bucks. Who do you embed
0: with? Thoughtful answers only. Love the count. Well, I I think of three teams. I think of the uh, man. It one has to be a Peyton Manning team, and so I'll choose one of the Broncos teams. I think I'm probably going 2012, just because of how good that team was. Obviously the heartbreak at the end of the season is something that I, I wouldn't want to cover, especially having to stand outside and the below zero temperatures for what the last two minutes of the fourth quarter and both overtimes. That's your choice. I stayed in the press box. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I had I mean, I had a deadline to hit after the game, but I stayed in the press box, <laughs> man. I got to say though, the team that i that may take the cake, although it's not covering Peyton Manning would be the, be the Tim Tebow team. I mean, mm. just the storylines that were coming out of that. That you know what? That's probably it. Tim Tebow. Uh,
1: okay, that's. But he did say another NFL team. But I mean, I just.
0: Oh, I took it. I took it as you took one NFL team for one season. Okay. Mm. Well, I mean,
1: you, you can. I mean, those are good answers. Um, I can tell you both the twenty eleven and twenty twelve locker rooms were really good. Um. Mm, yep. Twenty eleven, and you got to cover them. Yeah, 2011, the guy in 2011 that was my, probably my favorite in terms of someone who would just say whatever and would stir the pot a little bit, I really liked Willis McGahee. Ah. And he was a big player on that team, but he wasn't afraid to speak his mind. He kind of is what Chris Harris Jr. became.
0: Mm, I and love that. And there were that. a
1: couple of times early in the season when – Orton was a quarterback, and the Pistons weren't all quite all firing, but McGahee was running shot. He'd found the fountain of youth for that year, and he was pretty candid. And the other thing, early in that year, another guy who would say anything and kind of get himself in trouble in 2011 before he was traded was Brandon Lloyd.
0: Oh, yep, yep. Now, <laughs> yep.
1: I, I had never had a problem with him, and he was always a good quote, but uh, B. Lloyd, man. He was all about being Lloyd. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and sometimes you, you need those type of players for you a media Champ perspective. Ba-
1: yeah. You Champ Bailey was a true pro. You had Brian Dawkins, who's another guy as professional as you're ever going to come across. Um, I mean, really it got, now it got a lot better when Peyton Manning walked in that room, mm-hmm. but, and then, then you get to 2012 and some, you have some veterans walk in. Jimmy Leonard was really good to deal with. He was a guy who was there for one year. Um, Brand Stoke, we came back. We all know what kind of guy Stoke is. He'll, yeah. you know, he'll, 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 he's not the say-anything guy, but he, he was very good uh, with the media at the time. But let's see. For me, another NFL team from the last 20 years. It can't be a Super Bowl winner. You know what? I want to see when things go horribly wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> I would have liked to have been around <laughs> –
0: I would have liked to have covered the twenty seventeen Browns. Oh my God! Why would you do that to yourself, Mace? Why? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> because I I just like chaos. I like to see when things fall <laughs> apart. The twenty seventeen Browns. The twenty zero eight Lions. Actually, I covered one of the uh, twenty zero eight Lions' games where they played at Carolina, and. Remember, that team had some skill position players. I mean, you had Calvin Johnson, who was a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And Dante Culpepper had an arm, not much else at that point, but he had an arm. <laughs> but, man, the 2008, the 2008 Lions had the worst safety play I've ever seen. It's, they, those guys had no clue how to, how to come up to the box and, and be in the right spot to stuff a run at the second level. absolutely no clue
0: did they make Raheem the dream Moore look like he knew what he was doing
1: yeah Raheem would have been Raheem Moore would have been by far their best player in that (laughs) that safety core that year it's funny the things you remember when you see a bad team for that Lions team I just remember that you could just they had bad safeties they weren't really stout at on the inside at linebacker they weren't really stout on the interior of the defensive line and you just run up the gut on them all day (laughs) <laughs> if you wanted to and that was one thing that carolina team that i covered in 08 did very well was run up the gut on people
0: mm. so that was yeah. a good game for carolina
1: yeah they won but the thing is they had just enough offensive weapons where they could keep some games interesting but yeah theirs was sort of a like a kind of a a slow motion fall like it was it wasn't as spectacular as the 2017 Browns going 0-16. Right. Part of it is, of course, in terms of train wreck type coaches, Hugh Jackson is far more of a train wreck than Rod Marinelli.
0: Oh, yes, yes. Wait, Mace, before we move on, I got to know, what was this off the top of your head? What was the score of that uh, Panthers-Lions game? Do you know off the top of your head? It's, that game, I want to say it was like 31-22 or you know what? I'll will t- just I'll just take your uh take your word for it. All right, hang on. I'm going to click. I'm going to look it up here. So you're going 31 22 is the guess? What is it? Drum roll. 31 22. Oh my gosh, give me a break. What a weird score to remember, too. 22. That's a bizarre point. 22.
1: Number. And the thing this game to just go back through the details of it, Detroit actually led 10 0. I would
0: forgotten about that. <laughs> Yikes. That is that is embarrassing. It's a good thing they came and, back and won.
1: And then Carolina scored 24 of the next 30 points in the game to take a lead. Oh, and I'd I'd actually forgotten about this part. Detroit had a chance to tie on a two point conversion with 605 left. Failed on the conversion. And then Carolina, that this is where kind of the the running it to uh, down their throat, came into play. Mm, yep. Iced it out. Yeah. Actually, no. Um, <clears throat> Culpepper got picked off. Oh, yep. They got yep. the ball back. Culpepper got picked off, and then D'Angelo Williams uh, ran, ran for a touchdown. And uh, that, as they say, was that.
0: Well, so. fun question as always. By Count- the way,
1: both Stewart, Don- Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams, kind of evidence of what I said about the running game, both their running backs had 100 had at least 120 yards that day. oh yikes that that's how hap- so they combined for 250 yards on 29 carries wow yeah wow. it was a the carolina only passed for 102 yards wow man that's embarrassing <laughs> it's like an ancient old like a 1970s game plan
0: <laughs> one next one coming in from love thunder down under do you think the broncos offense will rank higher or lower than drew Locke's rank in qbr ps tried to dm mace but couldn't didn't mean any offense uh, offense with the comment yesterday mace wasn't intended as a playful tease. sorry if it wasn't received that way i can't live in a world where andrew mason thinks less of me
1: no worries mate i'm completely i'm completely over it and actually right now i'm trying to, i'm kind of Giving a, a pass to almost everything, I think we all are right now. So I, I didn't, I, I didn't think about it after, and I'd moved on. And it's great hearing from you again. Love Thunder Down Under, so no worries, we're cool, we're square. Now, it's a, but it's an interesting, interesting question: Is the Broncos' offense higher or lower? So let's say like Drew Locke ranks
0: 14th in QBR. Is the Broncos' offense higher than that? I think it's going to be higher than that, just because of all the talent that is on this offense that the offense should actually outperform drew lock this year.
1: Yeah, I I think so as well. And this is part of the confidence I have in the fact that whether you've got Melvin Gordon or Philip Lindsay carrying the rock, you're going to get something out of that running game.
0: Yep. I, I agree. Like, like that question too. Love thunder down under next one. From Iceman. I love this one. He says, Hey friends. Happy birthday, Zach. Go, Zach. Hey, thank you so much, Iceman. And I love what Iceman does. He replaces some A's with smiley Aww. faces. <laughs> By the way, I got to ask you, Zach.
1: Was yes. there an ice cream cake for your birthday?
0: Oh, yes. There was Yay. an ice cream cake. There was an ice cream cake that I still get to enjoy because it was uh, so big for just me and my girlfriend. So uh, my, awesome. mom makes, my mom makes the best ice cream cakes, and she dropped one off.
1: Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Terrific. Bring back the RRPPO. Hey, fellas. Wondering from Elway's history, what is the likelihood of trading up to grab a wide receiver? If the four offensive tackles and three wide receivers are gone by pick 15, who do you see as a potential trade down partner and which player could we target later in round one?
0: No, I don't want to think about a trade back scenario, but Mace, the the question that we haven't really talked about much is thinking in terms of being John Elway, what is the likelihood of trading up? We all say that we would do it for the right price, but what's the likelihood it happens?
1: Uh, I'd say I'd say 30 I'd say 33%.
0: That's one that's three. actually pretty significant.
1: I'd say 33% trading up uh 50% standing pat 17% trading back.
0: I can live with that right now. I, I can live with that right now. And I you know, I'll go 40% trade up, 10% hmm. I can't go 10% trade back. I think there's a, I think there's a, a not a pretty good chance, but a 25% chance that yeah. the Broncos trade back. And then what's that leave me? 35% that they stand yes. pat. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like those percentages. So I'm actually given the, the benefit of the doubt that they're going to trade up. Um, now Mace, who are some trade partners that the Broncos could trade back with in round one? Uh, maybe awful m- maybe Miami, happens. maybe Philadelphia mm my yep philly coming up for a wide receiver yes yep yep i and can, i uh, i'd be a little bit i'd be a little bit nervous about dealing with them because if
1: i think if they want a uh they want a receiver, I'd be thinking, okay, maybe i want to have that receiver <laughs> too. yeah, yeah um, the other thing is it depends sort of uh what receivers they value. let's say that um maybe they view receivers differently than we do perhaps right that's very then, true. I mean, maybe they, you know, they like a Brandon Ayuk more than at Arizona State more than others. Let's say he's a guy they have highly valued. In that case, then I, to, I would think about trading down, get more value. Because you still, you know, even though I think uh, we poo-poo the notion of acquiring picks, this team still has a lot of areas that need an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Volume of picks, especially on days one and two, can still be a good thing for you. Yep. Because you do need to upgrade the receiver position, maybe with multiple guys that you add in the draft. You still need to upgrade inside linebacker. You could, st- you could use another cornerback. You could use probably two offensive linemen, one interior and one at tackle. You could probably use another defensive lineman for depth. So there's plenty of areas on the roster that you can address yep. in this draft.
0: Oh, you're right. It's just and be filling and be filling a need and improving the position. From a selfish point, I don't want it.
1: <laughs> oh, I know. But uh, you know, we're we're not going to be at the facility. We're going to be doing all this from our homes. And uh, exactly. Well, it's funny. We'll sit here and say we have nothing but time, but that that's actually not the truth. Uh, time's going to evaporate quickly. Time's going to evaporate quickly before the draft. I'm actually uh doing some gonna be helping out uh Dre and uh and Hank with uh, some some draft bios. That's gonna be one of my big things this week is uh working on some scouting reports.
0: Love it. I can't I can't wait, man. Guys, you guys gotta stay tuned. We're going to drop such an we, awesome draft preview. Yes, this is gonna be, I
1: wouldn't say it's the only draft preview you're gonna need, but uh it's dadgum gum close to it. I I can't wait and I've been uh, doing a lot of film watching uh, late night to kind of freshen up on some of these guys and going back and watching some of my senior bowl video as well. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to this uh, getting these scouting reports up. This is going to be a lot
0: of fun. So stay tuned to the DNVR.com for that. All right. Next one coming in from Baja 24. Hey y'all been a while since I last commented, but just wanted to echo everyone else who has expressed their thanks for the content you've been producing to keep us sane during this hectic and uncertain time. I live in a world of DC politics, so I've been up to my neck of the mostly bad news on pretty much a daily basis. This podcast is one of the few reprieves I have at the end of each day, and I always look forward to it. Appreciate hearing from you. Absolutely, man. And I just, I love DC, so I love hearing from that side of the country.
1: Yeah. I, I love DC as well. Of course I was, I'm a Virginia native from Richmond, which is, is frankly a world away from, uh, from DC in Northern Virginia. But, uh, many years ago, um, I had an opportunity to potentially, to potentially go work in that area. Ooh. And even though my wife likes a lot of spots on the uh, mid Atlantic, um, she really didn't want to go
0: to D.C. because she really doesn't like politics at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of kind of have to be okay with politics to go Even there. Even though I'm like, it's a sports job, but no. She didn't really want that. <laughs> so for my question, I know a lot of us have spent time reminiscing on the Broncos in the NFL lore to get us through the last few weeks. But, of course, much of the past four years usually goes unmentioned in these conversations. And for good reason. They've been pretty miserable for Broncos fans but it adamantly hasn't been all bad. We've acquired some great players and coaches and had some undoubtedly awesome wins during this stretch. So in order to remind us of the team's bright spots since winning Super Bowl 50, I wonder if you can think of a few games in the post-Manning era that you recall had fun watching or that produced memorable moments. Thanks again for the service you provide to Broncos country. Can't wait for the draft and hopefully the full season to get here. Yeah, and thanks for
1: listening and all that you do as well. We really appreciate it. You know, Zach, I think this list is going to be pretty heavily tilted toward 2016. Yep. Because that was the year the Broncos started 4 0, and we're sitting at 7 3 after 10 games, 8 4 heading into the final quarter of the season before things really hit the skids there in that December. So I think back to edging the Panthers at the start of the year. I think back to Trevor Simeon lighting up the Bengals in week three um trampling think- the Brock Osweiler and the Texans on Monday night football uh, yep. later on in that season and then of course to me that then in that season that was of course the uh, the block P.A.T. in return uh that uh, Justin Simmons and Will Parks pulled off together to win the game in New Orleans yeah those are those were some great moments
0: and I'm going to connect it to the the start of the next season week two against the mm. Cowboys when they just they 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 kicked them they kicked them all, all over the field on offense on defense. What was that 42 to 17 or something like that, Mace? Correct. Very hey. good. Hey, wow. I feel like Andrew Mason right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, 2018 there weren't even though they went 6 and 10, like 2017 beyond the Cowboy game. I guess we want to forget the rest of that season ever happened.
0: Yep. <laughs> yep. That was like the last right spot.
1: Yeah, 2018 is interesting because they had that blowout win over Arizona, 45-10 on Thursday night. But as I watched that game, I, I thought, man, this is a Mike McCoy-led offense and Josh Rosen is doing nothing and they don't know how to use David Johnson at all. That—that that was The Cardinals were a grossly incompetent team. The only game in, for me that really jumps out and stands the test of time, potentially, is the game against the Chargers. And some of that, you got some help from the Chargers, like Philip Rivers you know, throwing it uh, into the ground on a third down and stopping the clock. But that last drive at the end, and you have a couple of big connections. And then what I, the sight I'll never forget is when Keenum spikes the ball in field goal range, and you see Cortland Sutton and Emmanuel Sanders jumping around like little kids, <laughs> knowing, <laughs> yeah. hey, we've done it. You know, we've, <laughs> yeah. We're going to win this game that I I remember that exuberance and, and how joyful they were. And then of course, you go 2019 and I, and I actually even said this was among my 10 favorite games of the entire decade, the Texans game. When drew Locke lit up Houston, they went down there. No one gave them a snowball's chance in hell and they didn't just win. They, Throttle the Texans. The game was not nearly as close as the score would indicate, and part of it is also kind of how we feel about Drew Locke. And I think there's hope that he can become something more involved with that. But that's a game that jumps out too as a joyful game.
0: So great question, Bah 24, to to let us re- remember that it wasn't all bad as of recent.
1: Yep, Southern Steve. Hey y'all. What are the chances of the Broncos moving up in the draft in order to draft Jerry Judy? I'd be willing to give pick 15 this year and next year's first round pick. What do you think? Can you imagine Drew Locke throwing to Judy Sutton and Fanton having Gordon and Lindsay as our running backs? Bring on the Chiefs, go Broncos, and stay well. I like the idea of trading up for Jerry Judy if that's what it if, if you need to trade up, but there's a limit to me trading up. I am not
0: trading next year's one, period. Nope. Nope. I'm not either. And you know what if Jerry Judy, if it requires a one to move up to number five in order to draft Jerry Judy. Well, you know, he is that good of a player where he can go in the top five, but I'm just not, uh, the, the, the Broncos aren't in a position to do that. So no, I'm not willing to give up a first round pick. I'm willing to give up two thirds, or I was thinking about this today, Mace, I'm willing to give up a second to move up because if I'm willing to give up two thirds to move up, well, if I give away my second, I can pretty much get moved two-thirds to get back into the second. So it's kind of a potato-potato right there.
1: Yeah, so you can have a one, a two, and a three. There is one thing that is interesting, though, and it's going to require projection and foresight. And there's so much that can happen between now and then. I acknowledge that this is something that teams may not be thinking about, but there may be some, Patriots, that might be thinking this way. <laughs> What if there's an indication there's no college football season this year? Because I think we can agree there are a lot more hoops for college football to jump through than the NFL. Yep. To have a season. I think it's far more likely there's an NFL season than the college season. Yep. Okay. So what if there are teams that think, hmm, you know, next year's draft, you may not have as many early entry guys. You may not have senior year film. There may be some teams that are willing to sacrifice 2021 capital for 2020 player for 2020 picks and
0: players. It's a really good point. That would be smart of organizations to be at least thinking about that. Yeah.
1: It, and and that's where I'm actually kind of gonna counter my own argument. And this is just part of thinking out loud when we do this. Because, you know, we don't some we don't often look at the questions before. I'm actually going to say maybe I would trade a future one but I wouldn't be trading it to move up a few spots. And actually, you know, if I trade a future one to move up, it's not
0: for a receiver. It's for a tackle? It's for Isaiah Simmons. Ah, a generational player. Yes. That's the only
1: guy. And and I'm hesitant to do it. And it would be kind of waiting to see if he dropped past the fourth pick. But if the Giants passed on him, you presume – the next two picks are likely quarterback, quarterback. Maybe I'm getting on the phone and saying, okay, I'll give you, and maybe I'm not even sacrificing the 15. Maybe I'm saying something like, we'll give you our one next year and a two, and, and our two this year for, say, pick seven or
0: pick eight if Isaiah Simmons is on the board. Man, you get Isaiah Simmons and then 15, you get one of those three top receivers, that would be something else. There may be some teams that operate
1: in this world where they say, maybe we'll sacrifice draft capital for 2021 because of the uncertainty around college football and the world in general, really
0: for 2020. Yep, man. That is interesting. Another good question. Next one from Hingle McRingleberry, really hoping RK doesn't draft Burrow in the Madden league might have to trade up above him to get who I want with a little bit of extra time in the last few weeks. I've been watching a lot of Broncos highlights, especially those of Terrell Davis, my favorite all-time Bronco always a close second. Since I was born in 1997, I didn't get to see many of them live that I remember, but watching them now still puts a huge smile on my face at how good they were together. In my opinion, they're one of the best, if, if not the best quarterback running back combination in the NFL's history. How would you rank them? Number one, or where would you put them? Well, I'll turn to my uh, history expert, Mace. What, Mace? What are some other combos?
1: Ah, uh, Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk. That's a good one. That was a hell of a combo with the Rams and the greatest show on turf. The two guys that made it go. Give me John um, and TD. John and TD are definitely on this list. I think you say, "Okay, you start with Hall of Famers." Right. My choice would, in terms of sustained success, my choice would be. Terry Bragg, Shaw, Franco Harris in Pittsburgh back okay. in the 70s. It's hard to argue with a team that won four Super Bowls. And, yes, a great defense was part and parcel to this. But going through their Super Bowls, their, those wins in particular, Franco Harris carried the team to the win in Super Bowl IX, basically was the best player on the field of that day right there, probably with uh, me, Joe Green on the defensive side for the Steelers who had a, had a great day as well. And then Terry Bradshaw had a couple of Super Bowl MVPs there at the latter part of the decade. The interesting thing with the Steelers, their run came in the midst of some rules changes in the NFL. The 1978 changes that for that end up banning contact within five yards of the line of scrimmage uh, for defensive backs against receivers and the Steelers. They won They won four titles, but they did it in two different ways. In the mid-70s, they won back-to-back titles with a running game and defense and a little bit of a vertical threat. Lin Swan, of course, had that big game, Super Bowl X. And then you get to the later part of the decade. The defense is slowing down. Franco Harris is still good and still productive and still playing at a reasonably high level. But what really made the Steelers jump out in 78 and 79 was with the with the rules against the against chucking at the line of scrimmage that opened their passing game up it was Terry Bradshaw Lynn Swan and John Stallworth just slicing and dicing opponents left and right and so that combo to me that's hard to top as far as quarterback and running back but to John Elway and Terrell Davis they're top five you throw in say Aikman and Emmitt Smith in this group yeah you'd Want to mention this is going way back Johnny Unitas and Lenny Moore from the Baltimore Colts. They're both Hall of Famers. Yeah, it's I'm not saying Elway and TD are the best, but it doesn't take long to call the role. They're right there in that top in that top five, maybe even top three or four.
0: I'm saying they didn't have uh they didn't have the longevity, but when they were on, I'm going to give it to to John and TD just because I mean. How good they both were. But yeah, that that's a fun uh, thing to think about. No and doubt. you gotta talk
1: about Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith as well. And that's another, that's yep. another combo to take a look at. And that's why I, you could argue who's the better combo, Elway and T D or Aikman, Emmett Smith. Emmett is the all-time rushing leader, and the Cowboys won three Super Bowls the Broncos two. But in terms of that of their peak moment, I'm actually going to give it to Elway and TD over Aikman and Emmett Smith. Hey. As I'm thinking, as I'm thinking about this, I'm, I'm going to say right now, second best all
0: time behind Braggshaw and Franco. Love it not too bad you know and just give me away in td number one all right (laughs) next next one coming in from hawkeye bronco fellas while thinking of old broncos games to watch i remember the clinton portis years while it was a brief two-year window and only one lousy playoff loss it's crazy watching some of his highlights as a bronco and shanahan's offense two potential games to re-watch the home games versus the chiefs in 2002 and 2003 Portis went off scoring nine combined touchdowns. While the trade of Portis for Bailey was definitely a win for the Broncos. I feel like Portis is often a forgotten man when remembering past great Bronco players. Had he stayed in Denver for his career, what was his ceiling ring of fame or hall of fame? Also, I just got Mace's book in the mail and can't wait to sit down and read it. Well wishes. And thanks for the great content.
1: I, I love it. I, I love the fact that you got that book. Thank you. I that hope is you, too cool. I hope you come. you enjoy that. I hope you enjoy reading it as much as I enjoyed writing it. You know, I'd like to find a good game from kind of the the early to mid-2000s. There's actually not that many Bronco games on YouTube from that era. I was looking up O2, for example, and the two that I found were losses to the Raiders. We don't want to watch those. (laughs) No. Um, There are some good games – from like the Jake Plummer era, but we're talking more about O four and oh five. Yeah, we're right now seem to be coming up short on Clinton Porter's games that are on YouTube. So I mean maybe someone will help us out and you know post one of those uh Chiefs games in those Chiefs home games in O two or O three. O two was an interesting game because Dante Hall made an absolute ankle breaking catch and run in that game. Uh, that went for a touchdown for the Broncos. 03 was the famous Clinton Portis championship belt game. That was that mm. was quite memorable as well. Yeah. Um now if Clinton Portis stays in Denver, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. His
0: ceiling is absolutely Hall of Fame.
1: In that scheme, he was a perfect back. He he did reasonably well with Washington, but it wasn't an offense that had the ability to generate as many open lanes for him, and you could see, like in in Washington, his per carry average that first year with the Redskins was three point eight. So he went from being a five and a half yards per carry guy to immediately a three point eight. He never averaged more than four point three yards per carry in Washington, and they used him more. They ran him into the ground in Washington. He had. Four years, Zach, of the first five after he joined the Redskins, where he averaged more than 20 carries a a game. And in Denver, for example, he had 273 carries as a rookie, 290 carries in year two. And then he goes to Washington in year three, the 2004 season, 343, 352. Injury shortened season in 2006, 127 carries then 325 and 342 in year seven and year eight. And he had big years statistically, but he was wearing down and then he wasn't quite the same after that was out of the league after the 2010 season. Zach, Clinton Portis, to me, if he stays in Denver, he probably averages north of five yards a carry for a few more years. He probably puts up a bunch of 1,500-yard seasons. He had two 1,500-yard seasons with the Broncos, and then he only had one after he left Denver. That was 2005 with Washington. I think Clint Portis, if he stayed with the Broncos, puts up some ridiculous numbers over the course of his career. Instead of finishing it just under 10,000 yards, he was 77 yards short of 10,000 in his 9 season career, including those seven years in Washington. I think if he spends those nine years in Denver, he ends up with 11,000, 12,000 yards. Maybe he doesn't have the same wear and tear on him as a result, and he plays a little bit longer. And, yeah, Zach, I think if Clinton Bortis stays a Bronco, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Anyway, I just saw a text from Zach, and uh, we're going to move on to the next comment. That was, that was good stuff, by the way. I love reflecting on Clint Portis. He's one of my favorite players that I've ever covered in Denver. Broncos419. Hey, guys, first-time commenter, longtime listener here. I first started listening to the pod leading up to the 2018 draft when I was looking for some Broncos draft coverage and living in Toledo, Ohio, hence the 419 in my name. It was pretty hard to find some. I've been listening every day at work ever since, and I finally decided to pull the trigger on a subscription during the Black Friday deal when I messaged, messaged RK about it on Twitter. I just want to let you guys know you're doing a great job, and the pod it really helps me get through the workday. For my first ever comment, I'd like to know, if, if available, who would you guys rather have at 15, Andrew Thomas or Henry Ruggs? Personally, I think I would rather have Thomas to solidify our own line. I think my dream scenario would be to get Jerry Judy, whether he's at 15 or a trade-up. Also, I'm not too high on the other offensive tackle, except maybe Tristan Wirfs. I'm right there with you. I love Wirfs and Thomas. They're my top two. I'm not a big fan of guys who make a big rise or drop out of nowhere after the combine because I feel like the tape should speak for itself. Thomas and Judy were both projected to be top five picks before the combine. Is the combine really that big a deal? Would love to know what you guys think. Actually, and this may be something I do an article about, on uh, the radio show I do, we talk with Lee Steinberg, super agent, yep. of course, a, currently the agent of Patrick Mahomes and Jerry Judy and Tua Tagovailoa, among others. Talk with him on Friday, and he, met, he mentioned that he feels like teams make more mistakes now because the draft is later, because they're, they're more distanced from the on field product, the film, that there ends up being some noise that comes from out of the combine and the pre and all the pre-draft buildup and the interviews and whatnot. So so I'm kind of with him. I'm I like to trust the film and you know I, I'm a little bit wary of guys who jump up in this process. Andrew Thomas and Tristan Worfs, I think if we were drawing up a list of the tackles after the season, they're one two. They're still my one two, Zach, but they're not everybody's one two.
0: Yep. They're my one too as well. And I think this was a fantastic first comment from Broncos for oh, yeah. a lot, lot of good points. I'm very wary of guys that, that skyrocket or jump during this process because the most important thing is playing football and how you do. And a lot of things do change from now until then and medicals aside, I'm skeptical of it. So Mace, those two are my top mm-hmm. tackles as well. Now Mace, who would you take Andrew Thomas or Henry Ruggs? Oh, yeah, that's tough. I want both. Okay. All right. <laughs> Me too. Okay. Uh, you can't to go have both. back
1: to my comment of, from a few minutes ago. Maybe I'm saying, hey, uh, we'll give you a one next year for a one this year. Hmm. <laughs> and you take both. Man. 15, 16. Hey, get- Atlanta, can we have – you <laughs> want to trade a, your one this year for a one next year?
0: <laughs> you want Let- to bet
1: on us being bad and then go ahead and, and, then ta- and then take them both.
0: They say no, Mace. Who are you taking? Can we throw in a two to make it interesting? <laughs> <laughs> give me give me Henry Ruggs, but it's close.
1: Yeah, I, I got to go with Rugs because – as good as Andrew Thomas is, there's a unique aspect to Henry Ruggs' skill set. Yep. There's the 4-2-7 speed. There's a unicorn aspect to it Yep, that Andrew yep. Thomas doesn't have. And then I'm saying, okay, well, I'm established, I've established that tackle is a need. The Broncos appear to have a lot of interest in Ezra Cleveland from uh, Boise State uh, because they've now talked with him twice but I'm getting into the second round I'm talking about him. I'm talking about Prince Tega Winogu out of Auburn. And then maybe even some developmental guys down the line as well.
0: Yep. But ta- yep.
1: yeah, tackle is, is something the Broncos really, really have to find a way to address early.
0: And even if they of, don't do it in round one, speaking of those tackles, Naderate says, any updates on Juwan James, is he going in for offseason rehab as an injured player? Not to be too negative on James, I just have such a low opinion that he is taking care of his body during the quarantine, and his health is vital to, this, to the success of the team in 2020. That's actually something to kind of re- to kind of reach out on. Maybe I'll uh, look
1: into that in the next couple of days to see if Ja James is actually rehabbing at the facility. That the players with injury rehabs, they're the only ones who are still allowed to go to
0: the facility. Yep. The facility. I mean, that's that's basically been it at this point. Yep. Is is rehab. Exactly, exactly. Next one from Onion. Booty. Bronco. (laughs) Better odds. Drew Locke to win MVP or Vaughn Miller to win Defensive Player of the Year? Good question. um, Vaughn.
1: Why? I think you get get him comfortable in this scheme in year two. You have – Chubb back to health on the other side. You have Jarrell Casey working inside of him. And I expect a good season from Drew Locke. I just don't expect an otherworldly season
0: from him. And I'll I'll also give the benefit of the doubt, uh, or I'll give Vaughn the nod as well. And a a reason for that is he comes into the season with the name. If he jumps out and has, let's say, six sacks in the first four games or through ten games, he has – 12 sacks 13 sacks people are everyone's going to be talking about him across the country whereas drew doesn't have the national name yet so uh, by the time the national the perspective catches on it's not not necessarily going to be too late but he's just going to be a couple of games behind Vaughn, uh, and then also like you said all the surrounding talent that Vaughn has he he should be ready to go from the get-go i am very
1: happy with drew lock if he ends the season with a passer rating of in the upper 90s to around 100 so roughly 97 to 100 now i bring that up because in terms of passer rating if he's in that range zach looking at the numbers here that would place him somewhere between ninth and 11th yep top in 10. the nfl so that's fine, but that's not going to get you MVP. There's, I think there's more that Drew Locke has to leap in order to be MVP than Vaughn Miller being Defensive Player of the Year. Right. So that's why I'm going to go with Vaughn. Another comment from Onion. Broody Bronco. Mm-hmm. My shepherds. I rewatched the Broncos' 2015 Super Bowl triumph over Spam Newton's Caroline Kittens. Hey, come on. You can mock, the, mock them as the kittens, but don't, but don't mock Carolina. and had a few
0: revelations (laughs) number
1: one Talib had an awful game so did Demarius two Coney Ealy could have won MVP if the kitty cats had won that's a great point right there
0: yeah Coney
1: Ealy was dominant that was his career game and he never never came back to that (laughs) three Tyler Columbus whiffed on a block on CJ Anderson's game securing touchdown run four we should have kept Trevathan over Marshall, reaffirming something we already knew. Yep. Five. Contrary to popular belief, Derek Wolfe was better than Malik Jackson, so we were right to stick with Wolf. Hmm. I don't agree with that one.
0: <laughs> I agree with you,
1: Mace. Yeah, Derek Wolfe, very good player. Malik Jackson had some special talent. Mm-hmm. Six. Peyton Manning need to have been put in an elderly home. Oh, come on! Oh, no. Seven. Ronnie Hillman need to have been launched into the surface of the sun. <laughs> well, you couldn't do that because that was the year in which, when Ronnie, when C.J. Anderson started, Ronnie Hillman played better, and then when Ronnie Hillman started, C.J. Anderson played better. So you need Ronnie Hillman to start. Right. So yep. C.J. Anderson could do his thing. <laughs> yep. Eight. Darian Stewart was a bad man. Can't do the Stephen A. Smith. (laughs) I think
0: it was pretty good.
1: Nine. My eyes still well up when I watched the Super Bowl trophy presentation ceremony. 10. Lastly, I'm going to drink a lot of beer tonight, Jim (laughs) Budweiser. Great Peyton Manning voice. The Southern accent is the one thing I could do pretty well.
0: (laughs) You nailed it. And great comment onion booty and speak I, I agree great comment didn't agree with all of it but great comment <laughs> uh, and speaking of great mile high green cross they are great and guys make sure you check out mile high green cross because supporting our partners is supporting us and sign up for their loyalty program not only are you supporting us but you receive 20% off your entire purchase once a month so load up that that time and go once a month at least to get 20% off at mile high green cross and make sure when you do make sure to tag us uh, and them on social media to show them that you're supporting us they're conveniently located on 9th and Broadway not too far away from me right in the heart of downtown there's parking in the back so downtown's a great location but sometimes parking stuff not there and they offer hyper with, so no cash needed. You're in and out in under nine minutes. So make sure you check out Mile High Green Cross. And when you do, sign up for their loyalty program to receive 20% off your entire purchase. Yeah, great stuff at Mile High Green
1: Cross. Nick Guyer, 813. Yo, Mace, I was intrigued a couple episodes ago when you said you have some unwritten material like books and stuff. I had the same going on. I have hundreds of poems, a bunch of other, other unfinished poems, and also book ideas I need to revisit and finish. Care to let us in on a mild, mild outline? of one of your story ideas. Well, <laughs> hmm. this is a little bit dark, Oh, but one of my story ideas, it's actually kind of a thriller horror that is set in the football realm in which you have a star player who is actually, he, he, ha- he, he is basically a sociopath.
0: And it manifests
1: itself in in many ways. But the entire organization covers it up. Because like he's that. such a good player. And basically, it's the one person who tries to kind of expose this and unravel it. And kind of grappling with the fear of, you know, basically, potentially not only throwing away your career, but also putting your life at risk. And how, you know, as it's, you know, basically, this person has... Can can go forth and has that and is accumulating evidence, but how do they go about accumulating the evidence quietly? how do they you know ha- how do they escape because of course, something like this, they're going to want to keep quiet, so it's basically kind of a kind of a corruption at all levels sort of thing, but
0: yeah. It's the kind of
1: book that I couldn't write if I worked for an NFL team. uh, But it's the sort of book I might write now. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's hope it's not based on a true story or anything. (laughs) No, no, but – it's not based on a true story but my mind goes to some dark places I love it I love it I can't wait to read that mates next one coming in from coach Tobin happy Monday everyone I want to start by saying I really am liking the build up of this team what happens in the draft should fill important needs and depth etc I know they will do a good job as they have in the past too the most important thing is everyone has fun there we go coach I love that attitude amen drew lock He impresses me more each day, not only when I pull up games from last year, but also how he speaks and shows leadership, especially in these times. It's going to be really fun to watch. Last thing for those who need to hear, it's cool to play fantasy and do hundreds of mock drafts, but nobody cares about them. I'm sorry, but that's just my harsh truth. I really enjoy being part of this awesome community. Everyone have a great week. I'll show myself out until next time. Well, Coach, I think you said uh, what a lot of people think. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And, Coach, I think you'd be very happy with what we have
1: coming up in terms of getting ready for the draft happier than if we just do a bunch of mock drafts.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Next one from Butch Cassidy. Can we launch Greg Rosenthal into the sun? Is Wes Walker the best wide receiver to never win a Super Bowl?
1: No, because uh, Don Hudson, now he played in the pre-Super Bowl era. uh, Don Hudson never won a Super Bowl. Okay. So him. But I would also, in the Super Bowl era, it's
0: easy. Steve Largent. Mm. Never even made a Super Bowl. Wow, that's sad. I Man, anytime you say, is Wes Welker the best blank, I say yes. I love Wes Welker. Oh, and I love Wes Welker
1: as a slot receiver and – That's another guy, if I'm ever privileged enough to be in the Hall of Fame selection room, I know he'd be mostly a New England case, but I'd be happy to help out. Wes Welker, you cannot write the history of the game without talking about Wes Welker because he redefined the possibilities of the slot receiver position. And that's, to me, that's what separates Wes Welker from Julian Edelman. And why, if you're talking about one of these Patriots slot guys being a Hall of Famer, to me, it's double-dubs Wes Welker all
0: freaking day long. I could not agree more. Just look at whatever you want to do, how he changed the position, how he created a position. uh, And then also just look at his stats. If you want to look at that, he's a hall of famer in my book.
1: Yeah, but the best receiver to never win a Super Bowl, it's to me, Steve Largent in the Super Bowl era and then all time Don Hudson. Anyway, LDJ, Larry Dang Jr. Hey guys. So as the clear future and talent of this roster approaches contract extensions, why is it that not only we, but several teams don't Front load, all caps, contracts, so that by the time you have to pay your cost-controlled quarterback, drink, you have a low <laughs> cap hit from the player you extend. For instance, why can't we provide a lot of bonus in Simmons's contract extension instead of a $15 million cap hit? I know eventually Cortland and Chubb could combine for almost $45 million on the cap. Sheesh. So by the time we get there, Simmons should be a low cap hit. Why don't teams do this more? And speaking of cap hits, should Bronco fans emotionally prepare for themselves for this being the final year as a Broncos player? No way you can keep making 20 plus a year after this year, right? Like if we're going to be a piece or two way after this year, Vaughn can't be our biggest cap any- hit anymore, right? What do you think? Well, Look, if, if we talked about earlier, Zach, if Vaughn Miller flourishes in this scheme, hell yeah, you can pay him
0: 20 million. Right. But he didn't flourish last year. So you no. need to see him not just get 10 sacks. You need to see him have a huge year. You need to see him have 15-plus sacks this year so you feel comfortable paying him $20 million. And here's the thing, LDJ. You're on to something because after this year, Von Miller has uh, only like $4 million in dead cap. So that's huge. And that's something that can't be ignored right there. And the fact that he has only $4 million in dead cap
1: this is where you start talking about kind of a, a restructure and extension.
0: Yep, yep. I It gives
1: you a, ch- a chance to be creative. The other thing on all contracts for the next few years is you want to find out what the television cut rights fees are going to be like. And one of many things that has been altered by COVID-19 and its myriad repercussions on society and the sports world is the fact that the uh, discussion about rights fees is probably something that has been delayed a little bit. And I think before this year, the thought was, okay, get a CBA done in March if the players ratify it by then. Then you start moving on to TV contract discussions for 2022 and beyond. You start getting those in place. Now those are kind of ripped asunder. But believe it or not, even in a poor economic environment, there's an opportunity for the NFL here because – if they can find a way to play games this year, even if you don't have fans in the stands, but let's say that COVID-19, say it fades over the summer. Let's say it comes back in the fall and people are maybe sheltering in place again, but football is still finding a way to go on with testing. As Dr. Alan Sills of the NFL said, the key toward resuming, some semblance of normal NFL life is widespread testing. What if NFL ratings are through the roof this fall? Right. If people can't go to the game, even if people can't go into the games in person, they're through the roof. All of a sudden, those rights fees you could get become greater. And then there's more money to make sure you can take care of all your guys. So there's just, there's so many things that have to happen You can start thinking about the possibilities, but there's so much that has to fall into place that it kind of puts some of these things on hold in terms
0: of whether to front load or not. Yep. It's a good point, Mace. Next one from the Danimal. Afternoon, gents. I have a quick draft scenario I came up with to run past you after Mason's act talked about last week. What would be our answer to the nightmare scenario for the Broncos in the first round? It'd be a very specific set of circumstances, but I can see a way that it happens. Let's assume that the big three wide receivers along with the top four tackles and all the blue chip defenders are off the board at 15 and Burrow and Herbert are taken by Cincinnati and the Chargers respectively. Miami decides to target Tua later in the first after believing that team's inability to bring him in for physicals dropped his draft stock so they can use a later pick for him, leaving them without a quarterback after the first pick. At 15, we missed out on the marquee names, are too high to waste the pick and take a second tier player and don't need more draft capital. So instead, LA calls Miami and offers to get their quarterback of the future without costing them a 2020 first-rounder, allowing them to use all three of their first-rounders on skill position players. Miami agrees to the trade, and Denver selects Tua in the first and immediately ships him to Miami along with a third-rounder in exchange for both of Miami's 2021 first-rounders and one of their two 2020 second-round picks, giving Miami four first-round players this year. John uses the two second-rounders we have, draft the top interior offensive lineman fiatish cushionberry and chenault filling the biggest needs we have without wasting pick 15. one of the three first rounders we have next year it can be assumed at least one will be a premium pick because miami is going to be miami this gives us a contingency plan for Locke if he balls out which i truly hope he does we have the picks to build a world-ending team next year If Drew stumbles, it moves our pick into premium range as well as we have the capital to move up to snag Trevor Lawrence. Three first-round picks can buy a lot. If we find ourselves in the scenario at pick 15, does that plan make sense or do I just have too much time on my hands and need a hobby to keep my mind out of bizarro NFL world? Sorry for the long comment. I promise I rewrote it twice and shortened it, and I appreciate you guys finding a way to keep the football alive during the apocalypse. Take care, Danimal. I like
1: the outside, the, na- the box nature of what you're saying, Danimal, but there's only one problem. Let's say Drew Locke doesn't work out, and you're saying, okay, we'd love to get Trevor Lawrence. Do you think the team with the number one pick overall in 2021, if they have anything but a high-level quarterback, you think that team is trading the pick? Nope. They're taking Trevor. Yep. That's it. I mean – we live in such an uncertain world right now. There are very few things of which we are certain. I am certain that Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick (laughs) next year, no matter what. And if a team doesn't have a high level quarterback, they're taking Trevor. That's it. So don't even think in terms of, Oh, we might be able to trade up for Trevor. If we get capital, unless you have the number one overall pick, you're you're not getting Trevor Lawrence because, because don't rely on getting Trevor Lawrence because I don't think the team that has that is going to trade it just because Lawrence can we can agree he's a generational type of prospect right Yep, like he's in the uh, he's in the Andrew Luck category the guy that you just you know when he's there he's going to be number one Absolutely and that team ain't move and that team ain't moving unless they've got a guy who could be a potential Hall of Famer quarterback
0: Yep. Yep. So, uh, there it is. On top of this, I love your trade scenario, Dan. Yes. But I love it, which means it's too good for the Broncos, the Dolphins. It wouldn't make sense for them. To I, I think it's very intriguing.
1: It makes sense, especially now we've talked about how many things are hazy for 2021. But you are talking about getting two ones, right? For the right, and so that's where I say, okay, fine, that's an acceptable price, even though the 2021 draft. May look and feel a bit different if college football can't get off the ground. I'm my fingers are crossed, Zach. That one thing that does happen is that even if college football doesn't happen in the fall, that we have a college football season, even if it's running like January to March.
0: That'd be fun.
1: That'd be a, fun. A major college football season. I wouldn't count on seeing a lot of low levels, but a major college football season.
0: Something I don't see happening is to a falling at all. I think we're past those no. days as well.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Can, Caleb, chief, hoo ha.
0: <laughs>
1: just wanted to pop in and say thank you for arcade coming up with the idea to help timmy last week it's truly unbelievable we as just a fraction of the community were able to pool that much in resources so quickly thank you for all for what you've created also trade up and get judy Ruggs or lamb the jags clearly have no clue what they're doing with their franchise when trade back for a stale bag of chips and a pbr that has sat in the jacksonville sun for five for five days, keep the
0: content. <laughs> <laughs> Man, if you can do that trade, absolutely do it. Thank you so much, Caleb. Thanks yep. for chiming in. Next one coming in from Champ2480Smith. Hey, fellas, I saw a mock draft on the on the Broncos subreddit where we moved up to nine trading with the Panthers. Do you think that we could make this trade with trading our first and two-thirds? And who would you take? Here's the, here's the link, but we don't need to. We, we, we believe you. What do you think, Mace? I would mm-hmm. definitely trade two thirds to to move up to nine. I think that yeah, guarantees Carolina you might top de-
1: three. Carolina might demand a two, in that.
0: Well, I, I'm I would do that as well because then you can just move use two thirds to move up uh, and, and get yourself a second. Because Car- in Carolina it's seven. Yeah, so Carolina is at seven. So I don't know. Yeah, if, so not nine. Yeah, I think you'd be trading with the Jags, right? Yeah. Yeah, so but – but on
1: the link, you go there, it does say the seventh pick, not the ninth pick. Okay. Yeah, two threes, it might get it done on the draft value chart uh, to move from 15 to seven, but I don't think Carolina's taking
0: that. I think they're asking for a two. I agree. I definitely agree with that. And Mace, last one coming in from TK freeze. What's up guys, Ryan. I know you've been very against trading back since we already had so many picks, but I've seen so many drafts of late where all top tackle, all four top tackles are gone and all three top receivers are gone as well as Derek Brown, Okuda and Simmons are gone. I used to think this was the nightmare scenario, but I'm starting to think this may be very likely. So what's the plan? Rather take the best player on the board or the next wide receiver, Jefferson Mims or next best offensive tackle Jackson Jones or is a trade down the best option I know this would be terrible but I feel like trading down getting extra pints may be the best plan what do you guys think if you haven't traded up and all those guys are gone yes I'm trading down and I think John always trading down and that's the most important thing is I think John would trade down if none of those seven guys are there
1: yeah and then you're just trying to get more picks maybe even some asset accumulation for future years but I'm trying to get picks for this year I just want You know, I I just want more arrows in the quiver. Yep. Yep. If I if I've got more arrows, I got a better, I've got a better
0: chance of hitting a bullseye with one of them. Exactly. But you only need one bullseye when you go to Davidson's because you're only going to hit jackpots at Davidson's. They have two locations in Centennial and Highlands Ranch. They're locally owned, have a massive selection of anything you can want, and guys, I think they're doing the best thing right now. They're doing curbside pickup or delivery. So you don't even have to go into the store. In fact, you can't go into the store right now, and they are going to hook you up with anything you want. Make sure to download their app today for incredible deals. Get all of the knowledge that you need, just like going into a store. They have so much info on their on their app, and join their loyalty program. Guys, this is a perfect place to get any of your favorite Breck brews. Really, anything that you could ever want, any booze that you want, Davidson's has it. So make sure to download their app get Breck Brews, uh, curbside or delivery orders. And remember, supporting our partners is supporting us. So Davidson's is the place for you guys to go. All right, Mace, that was a good Monday. We'll be talking to Von Miller in just under an hour. So stay tuned to the dnbr.com and stay tuned tomorrow when we talk about whatever Von Miller has to say and everything. Coming from Broncos country. For Andrew Mason, I'm Zach Stevens. Have a terrific start of your week and thanks so much for rolling with us.